Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. About a week or so ago, I had a couple of conversations with uh, Jesse Fossey-Taylor, who owns approaching 200 rental properties. (laughs) And you'll see why approaching 200 was interesting uh, in itself in a minute. But um, we talked about several things in our first conversation But the thing that really struck me the most about uh, being potentially the most useful to you was the topic of scaling your property business. Jesse was what he calls himself a lower mid-size portfolio landlord and knows several people with one or two thousand properties as well. However, when when we don't have our first property and are looking to get involved in property or to grow a portfolio from a fairly modest base, He's been through several stages of uh, portfolio development and growth with the resulting experience that goes with that. So today I'll share the first part of our conversation, from our second conversation in fact, and pick up some of the summary key points afterwards. But okay, let's, let's get over now to have a listen to the conversation with, uh, with Jesse and myself right now in Property Chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, I'm very pleased to say I'm uh, I'm joined on today's podcast by Jesse Fossey-Taylor. Hello, Jesse. First of all, let me just check you're there. I am here. Hello, Richard. Hello. We had a, we just need to make sure all the te- technical things are working okay, but uh, thanks for joining me today. Um, no problem. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That's okay. Um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was very intrigued with uh, some of your property journey, and um, I thought it would be a good idea to talk, particularly given your own background about scaling um, your property business. And um, you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and why that would be relevant perhaps for you to come and join me today. Um, but I thought it'd be great to have you on. So um, why don't I just uh, hand over to you, maybe kick us off with a quick intro, a little bit about uh, about yourself. I believe, and if this information is correct, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you have over about 200 properties. So uh, tell us a bit, got, bit about I, you. Is that right? I, I, have got, I have got a great, we haven't hit 200 yet. I think I'd, <laughs> it sounds great. I don't know the exact answer. I think we're in 190 odd. But no, I, I, I know that we haven't got 200 yet because uh, there's a party stuff. scheduled in. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. We, we know that. I'm, I don't count that myself, but somebody else is counting that for sure. Oh, so, wow. um, it, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely on, on the cards soon. So um, It's as close as damn it, I would say. That's a gimme in, in golfing yeah, terms, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so me, I've been in property for 17 years, um, not full time. Uh, when I say 17 years, I think it was 17 and a bit years ago when I bought the first property that I, I ever bought. Um, it was a shop, actually. I, at the time, was running a sandwich and coffee shop, okay. uh, a, a small chain of them um, at the you know, fast forward. Um, Sort of ten years on from that, it was a rather larger chain of sandwich and coffee shops. But that's that that's where I was when I bought the first property. Um, it was actually a 
delayed completion lease option with all sorts of complicated things. But uh, and that was seventeen years ago. That, that oh, wow. was okay. <laughs> it, was probably, it was probably the most complicated property deal I've ever done, and it was my first one. But it was because um, up until that point we'd been used to um, renting shops, and this one was no different. I made an agreement to rent it, but it needed a lot of work to get it uh, to the state it needed to be. We put a flat upstairs and I offered the guy, I said, look, I'm not doing all that work unless I've got the option to buy it. I can't afford to buy it now. So we, we came up with an agreement where I buy it. So that was the first property I ever bought. Um, I was running a chain of sandwich shops for you know 10 years. I bought one or two um, properties in between that time. Um, I chose to go into property full time um, on a beach in my first and probably my, my only retirement, uh, I, I decided to sell all the uh, sandwich and coffee shops off. They mm-hmm. weren't doing quite what I wanted. I think there's a lot of parallels. People listening might be thinking, um, you know, either they're running their own business or they're working hard on building a career. And I got to a point when I thought, you know, I've been working in this business since I was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of time, effort, reinvested capital into it. Um, and when I first started off, it was, you know, I was going to take over the world and it was going to do all sorts of great things. And we made a good stab at it and, you know, we were profitable and it was good. But I thought, do you know what? I'm still, well, the, the example I give quite often is that, that, you know, we had all sorts of systems in place. But on a on a Wednesday afternoon, if the area manager was off and the, the manager of the shop was um, off and then, then the deputy manager phoned in sick, it was still me, the managing director that drove an hour in the dark to go and open the shop up. And I thought, this, this just isn't the life for me. It wasn't making as much money as it, as it did, you know, post-2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to sell them all off. I sat on a beach with my uh, my girlfriend. She's my wife now. And I was talking about what I wanted to do, and I decided I was going to open a chain of fish and chip shops. That was my huh. idea. That was okay. my own plan. I can still, I can still tell you exactly the fryer that I would have bought if, uh, if I opened a chain of fish and chip shops. <laughs> I'm more interested in the name actually, because fish and chip shops have usually got some kind of fishy name. Well, yeah, no, I didn't get that far. I didn't get that far. But okay. Emily pointed out, my wife. She said, "What on earth are you doing? You, know, you, you decided to sell a chain of." sandwich shops and you want to open a chain of fish and chip shops how's that going to be any different other than you're going to come home smelling um <laughs> so i had a, a it was it was it had been it was actually it was a revelation it was the first time i had made a conscious decision about doing anything which is you know rather silly i suppose but you know i'd, I'd grown this my, my, my sandwich and coffee shops i started off wanting to open a kebab shop and it morphed into a sandwich and coffee shop then we grew I think we had about 15 of them at one point and um you know, none of those are really truly conscious decisions other than I want to grow my own business. I want to do something. I want to keep going and go, keep going. At the time when I sat back and said, this is what I'm going to do, it was it was property for all sorts of good reasons. But the main one was the lifestyle, actually. The fact that you can sit back a little bit and um, control it at your own pace. And the little bit of property experience I'd had up until that point thought that that was going to be the right decision. And time has told me that it has been the right decision. So I'm very glad that... Well, my wife can take credit for that, can't she? She was obviously the one that she was. She was the brains there, I think. So, yeah, that, that's where I started. I just I just started buying houses, um, as lots of people do, you know, just one or two here and there, and gradually learning and working out how to do it. Yeah. So, just to clarify, then, so you bought your, your first purchase and subsequent purchases were commercial properties or retail properties, effectively. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, then you, you cashed your chips in. Hey, <laughs> link. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then decided to go into residential property investing, 
well, I'm not sure if it was exclusively, but you bought houses, as you mentioned. And so um, you then started to put your capital to use and the, the main driver was lifestyle. Yeah, which, yeah I, th- I think so. Um, which, I say I think so, because at that point I worked really hard at it and I didn't really have much of a lifestyle. And yeah. um, one of the things, I'd, you know, it's not it's not easy. That's not what I'm trying to say. I think it was more the fact that it was the potential lifestyle. I'd worked really hard at the sandwich and coffee shops, and I think lots of people work really hard in the things that they do. Um, Post two thousand and eight, the income that I got out of there more than halved. It was it was as if the thing that I've been working hard at had been taken away from me. Mm. Um, whereas, even if things go wrong with property, you still own the property, don't you? You know, yeah. um, you know, there are all sorts of things. It has that, an that, 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 like niggles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I used to, I used to spend a quarter of a million pounds fitting a shop out and the very very next day that fit out was worthless i just spent 250 grand on paint and chairs and fridge rooms and tables that if somebody really wanted to take that off of my hands they might give me five grand for it you know that's whereas and and if and if customers didn't come through the door that that, that that's the situation you end up with you've got this hollow shell of nothingness whereas property property is just um a lot more rewarding in that way. So it wasn't necessarily the fact that I wanted to go on those holidays and have an easy life. Mm. Um, I wanted, I think, I think looking towards my lifestyle 20, 30 years hence, and yeah. uh, I suppose, you know, roughly get, getting on to where I am now, I suppose. So, yeah. So it's, it's Definitely kind of, mistake, it's, 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 it's the, the old um, definition of entrepreneur, isn't it? Do, do a few years doing what other people wouldn't do to live a lifetime that other people can't do. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I don't know who nice actually said it. that, but uh, um, it's not me. Anon, anon. Yeah, yeah, anon. But um, I'm sure somebody did. I'll look it up later. But it's funny actually as well. I just also wanted to. I, I hope you don't mind. But um, a bit of a digression because I, I, I read on the BBC Capital uh, website about Bill Gates. Not if you want to be successful in business, don't copy Bill Gates. Which of course is quite a it's clickbait, isn't it? Attention grabbing headline. Mm. But the point they were trying to make was. You, uh, there was a lot of circumstances around Bill Gates starting out, which afforded him a lot more um, privileges. Luck was one of them. Opportunity was another one. It wasn't just that he was a brilliant man who just did everything right, and you copy him if you and you work really hard, you will be a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. It isn't yeah. that. So I think your story about the sandwich shop and the income halving. You know, I'm sure you're working really hard, but the income halved through you know, circumstances probably outside of your control, i.e. the economy. Yeah, the, the there is a similarity between... Um, you and Bill. The, well, <laughs> hardly, but between the... Uh, it's interesting, what you say about the, the Bill Gates thing is, you know, I've read his, his autobiography, and if you read, I don't know, the Steve Jobs one, or mm-hmm. um, the um, Alan guy, he's a co-founder of Microsoft, and, and all the other guys, they're all in each other's autobiographies. That tells you something because it was a particular point in a particular time where, you know, Apple started in one garage and Microsoft started in another garage, you know, three streets down the line. I'm not sure if it's quite that close, but yeah, there's definitely something there. But I was going to say there's um, a similarity between the sandwich shops and the, um, uh, the, the property is that I chose sandwich shops because I knew that I wasn't. I wasn't capable of thinking of the next big idea. I actually, I remember thinking, well, I'm never going to be the next Bill Gates. I, I, I can't think of that next idea. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I don't know it. I'm, I, and I'm, I don't do false modesty. I'm, I'm not, I'm not massively academic and I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not 
super smart. I, I knew that if I went into a job, I probably wouldn't get promoted past sort of middle management, you know. <laughs> um, so there's very little um, uh, sort of barriers to entry to open in a sandwich shop. And actually, there's very little barriers to entry to getting involved in property as well. You can do it worse or better. And, and I sort of learned on the job in both things. But that was a similarity for me. It was, I can have a go at this. And I've taken that forward in property. And I, I believe it. Now, I preach to anybody. You know, we've got a national minimum wage in this country. And um, it means that you know most people earn at least an amount. Anybody can get started in property. It's open to anybody. Um, it's harder for some people. You might have to be in different areas, but I'd, I'd actually then argue that you know if you're in the areas where you know, they're right down to the cheap end because that's what you can afford, you might be doing better than those guys buying penthouse flats in the Docklands anyway. But uh, you know, an, an, another topic. But yeah, it, it's for everybody. We can all do it, and it makes a massive difference to people's lives. It has done to mine, and I've seen it do that for. Lots of other people. Some of them are my clients. Some of them friends. Um, I've never seen anybody get involved in property and get 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 in and, and stick with it for I don't know, let's say five years, and not make a massive success of it. I've seen plenty of people have a go for a couple of years and fail miserably, but you stick with it for the long term, and uh, it definitely definitely pays dividends. I'm, and I've never seen that not be true. So that's going to be worth something, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of maybe exceptions, which is probably all about this um, uh, fortune or luck point of view. I remember swapping notes with a chap who had over 100 properties um, in Scotland and uh, he got taken to the cleaners because of the, the bank lending situation, the financial crisis collapse. Um, and he, yeah. lost, he lost it all. But um, I think that was unfortunate. But I think if I know your line of thinking, which I'm preempting to some extent, certainly my own, is you put certain buffers and protection in place where you may be not as exposed to that kind of risk. Um, yeah. you know, um, and, and hopefully you can protect some of the downside along the way. But um, I don't know if you'd agree with that. But uh, you're right. Certainly, agree with it. Yeah. yeah, if you take a long term view of property. And I also agree with you that you can get involved even with very little money. It might mean you have to work a lot harder uh, mm -hmm. or you need to be very good at t talking to people who've got some money or something. But you, you can get involved. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. We, when we first talked or last talked, you, um, we talked about the sort of different uh, stages of development of a, of, uh, of a property investor or landlord. And obviously, if you're approaching, can we say 200 or approaching 200? Go on then, probably, go on then. It'll, probably, it'll, be, it'll be 200 by the end of the year. Oh, so why not? I was going to say by the end of the week then, but uh, no, two, 200. Well, let's say roughly 200, just so I'm not, you know, mm. putting any sort of bad vibes out there into the, <laughs> into the atmosphere. Pro approaching 200. So you've obviously gone from, and I know I appreciate you, you sold your sandwich shop. So I presume you sold the, the, the assets, the properties as well, did you? No, uh, I kept them. I've never ah. sold a property in my life. Oh, well done. Okay, that's good. Okay, so uh, I tell a lie, I've, I've sold a property that I bought in order to do up and sell on, but I've never, I've never sold a property that I thought there's a renter ever. Never. Yeah. Well, that was that even, was even if I thought it was a little bit of a mistake. You know. But. Well, I'm pretty sure you would. Oh, I don't know, but I would imagine. But retaining those sandwich shops, uh, the the ownership of those has probably been a good good decision as well. But uh, I'm digressing my question because really, what I wanted to ask you was. <laughs> As you've gone from, you know, your first one on a crazy lease option and whatever the structure was to approaching 200 now, I imagine you've gone through a couple of stages along. Well, there is, is you know, you had another one, you had another one, you had another one. But yeah. would you say there are definite sort of tipping points where you need to, and bearing in mind we're talking about scaling the property business and perhaps how you address it as a business, are there mm. tipping points along the way where you go from small scale, mid-size, large and supersize? I'm going to call you supersize at 200. 
and approaching. Oh, no, no way. No way. um, I still think that we are, yeah, lower middle size. I've got, I've got, I wouldn't call them friends because generally, that's not true, they are friends, but they're they're more acquaintances, people I know, and they're older than me. So it's not that we hang around all the time, but I know and spend some time with people with 1,000, 2,000 properties. That's that's supersized. So, you know, that's where we're heading. But, you know, that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm low to middle at the moment, so I've okay. still got a long way that's, to learn. <laughs> a long way to learn. That's interesting in terms of perspective. Uh, I think a lot of you know, if you think the average landlord is he owns between one and three yeah, properties, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, as per NLA, etc., then you know, a thousand or two thousand is like, woof, you know, that's way up there, isn't mm. it? So, but anyway, um, so so if we if perhaps from getting the numbers slightly wrong, um, are are there sort of um, some key factors that perhaps you make some right, yeah. changes are changes along the way that perhaps you can share with our listeners. Yeah. Um, so when I started buying my properties, financing was a lot easier. So I've got to say I had it, I had it easy. I had my first couple of years um, where we achieved a, what looked like a lot and a lot got done and we bought a lot of houses. Um, I also, I was running my own business at the same time. So, um, you know, I employed people, I did VAT, I did uh, PAYE, payrolls, and we got leases and contracts. So what I have observed from watching other people go from one to 20 properties, or let's say one to five properties, that's quite a nice, five or six, one to five or six, I, made, I think I've made that my first break point. Mm-hmm. Um, I got through that quite a little bit quicker than I've seen other people get through it, and with less stress because of those things, which made it easy for you. I'm not saying I did a better job, Actually, some of the properties I bought then weren't actually the best, and I, I, I wouldn't have bought them now. But I kind of zipped past that five without really thinking about it, and not because I was big or clever or anything, just the, the, the timing was right. But what I have noticed is if you're investing right, and we invest right now, and I wasn't investing right back then. And what I mean by right is the deal stacks up properly. We we, we always buy, uh, we buy value, we add value, we um, strip the value out as, as or, or do something with a refinance so that we can um, keep keep the property and get most of our capital back out and keep going. Still having a, a, an asset that stacks, makes some money every month. Um, if you do that, then you're buying a different kind of house to the ones I was buying to start off with. But I, I think up from, from one to six properties are, it's the hardest in terms of uh, keeping yourself going. Um, yeah. The, it's the hardest. It's, it's capital intensive. You will, in those five or six properties, see every single problem that you're ever going to encounter, and some people get dissuaded by that. But by the time you've got to five or six properties, you're rolling. Um, if you're buying the kind of numbers that we buy, and you've got a pot of money and it goes in and out, in and out, by the time you've got to five properties, they're making enough money every six months to be able to top your pot back up again enough to buy your sixth property your seventh property your eighth property i mean that's that's talking particularly about the kind of houses that we buy but with these new mortgage rules that are coming recently i think everybody's going to be squeezed to buying in the same kind of houses you can't buy a house well it runs out of steam a, a normal buy to let mortgage uh, 135,000 pounds 140,000 pounds end value is about the top of most with a 500 pound rent to, to make it stack you know so most people are going to start buying you, you can't buy a three hundred thousand pound house in London anymore unless you're going to HMO or any of those kind of things. Incidentally, those people with two two thousand properties, they are all every single one without exception are two or three bed terraced townhouses or whatever. Sometimes they own a block of flats, so it, that that's all you can buy: small, cheap houses to rent out. Um, so if we're talking about those kind of numbers, you get to five, you feel like you're rolling. Five to twenty, 
is the time when you can get severe overwhelm if you're not not under control. Um, you can have issues with renovations, uh, tenanting if you're trying to take on too much um, cash flow. Um, I always feel broke. Even now, I'm always broke. <laughs> I always spend every last penny. You know. I see. The, um, I, 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 go on. I, I track how much money is there to spend on um, properties. And I know what it is. Let's say this month I can buy three properties. You bet your bottom dollar. If a fourth one comes along, I go, go on then. <laughs> Which means you're, scra- you're scratching around for another 40 grand, don't you? You just think yeah. you're always broke. Um, and I've seen people doing this with loads of yeah, bigger money than I've got. And they're yeah. always broke as well. You know? I'm really glad you said um, that. I, um, I feel permanently broke because I'm always putting my, my money into another asset, you know? <laughs> so it's just, you know, but property investors with a, you know, who are still growing are, are typically, you know, Broke if they're still yeah. broke because they're putting the money into another app. But of course, if yeah, you stop, absolutely. then eventually you're going to, it's all going to catch up, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say one of the, that, that sort of period of time, it's getting your systems in place. That's, don't worry too much about the systems up to five, six, seven, eight, nine. Let it get a bit messy. I certainly did because at least you've then got a problem to worry about, haven't you? You know, I, I do see lots of people worrying about problems they haven't yet created. Uh, how am I going to manage this? How am I going to do that? Well, how many houses have you got? Well, I bought one or I haven't bought any or I'm thinking about it. Well, go, go, go buy 10 or 15 houses, let it be a problem and then sort it out. Don't try and, t- try and do too much yourself. I'd say I did try and do too much myself. Um, I bought professionals in a little bit too late. I, actually, I'd, I'd even worse than that. I thought I was the professional, even worse. <laughs> you know, I tried to rent out my own properties, and um, you know, I, I'm a letting agent. Well, I, I wasn't. Um, and when I actually employed somebody who did a proper job, a letting agency uh, or lettings, then I realised how bad at it I was. But, you know, that's hindsight again. Um, and honestly, after that, it's more of the same. If you've got it plugged in and it's working, it's super, super scalable. There's, there's very, very less, not much difference at all between, let's say, 20 and 200, really. Um, I suppose I, I can afford a, a full-time bookkeeper, an accountant, and a full-time management company, but you know, a full-time management company is open to everybody. Um, having a bookkeeper, okay, my guy's full-time, but he's busy, and if you've only got 20 or 30 properties you don't need somebody full time so yeah it, it's it's scalable but you have got to be on top of it but if you're on top of it at 20 you're on top of it at 200 it feels very different there's just a few more pages to re- read in your report that's all hmm. so dri- yeah. driving out that uh, those systems because you I, I tend to agree that you know once you've kind of got around the 20 mark i mean you, you, as you say you yeah. kind of you roll your sleeves that you muck in you you kind of make a few mistakes you do a lot yourself or you you perhaps rely on one or two third parties on a casual basis uh, i particularly always rely on letting agents so you know i'm not involved in the management of my properties um, that's mm. somebody else's job um but you know you you manage the letting agent so you know checking on what they're doing is is okay but so what are the systems that you would put in place at round about plus or minus 20 so someone getting close to that level, what are the systems, processes, all the people that you'd be looking to plug in, would you say? Um, definitely letting agent. You mentioned it there. It's when I, when I first started, I used a letting agent exclusively. I actually used two different ones. Um, when I got to sort of 20 or so, I decided, I think it was 25, 30, something like that. I decided to manage them myself. You know, it's a big chunk of money you're spending every month and I could afford a person. Right at that beginning, at that point, that was a mistake, actually. Uh, I should have left it a little bit longer mm. so I could have afforded 
a professional. I, I just got a person, you know, mm -hmm. um, with a telephone, a laptop, and a photocopied AST from WH Smith. So off you go. Uh, I wrote them an, an operations manual, but it was wrong. You know, I, I, <laughs> I actually, I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, if, if you'd have looked at it and spoken to me back then, I'd have said, I'm, I'm definitely on top of this. It's, um, I'm taking this seriously. You know, I've got a fine cabinet got a computer we know what we're doing but it was just wrong the, the, the people that i'd employed were just people off the street were, that were having a go so get professionals who actually know what they're talking about and for, for you know no other reason than that will make you more money you know um, less stress less hassle more money more rent things rented easier less litigation you know trying to chuck a tenant out on an ast that you got from doing smiths isn't the easiest <laughs> um, uh, get everything organized that's dead easy for everybody to do um second most important thing is get bookkeeper and have a monthly report done if it's the amazing and, and small businesses there are an amazing number of small businesses that find out at the end of the year how much money they made or not i was never one of those even when we ran the the sandwich and coffee shops we'd have a monthly board meeting and um yeah all, all the figures were there all your kpis were there do the same even for you know 10 15 20 properties Accounting packages are so easy these days. You can get all these online ones, zero, wave, QuickBooks, all that kind of stuff. It's not expensive. They drag in all the information you, um, every month. If you want to do it yourself, fine, but make sure you do. If you find yourself slipping and not doing it, then get a bookkeeper, just mm -hmm. so you've got that finger on the pulse. You're never going to have any surprises. Um, get a good accountant. That plugs into that. Um, you know, you, your accountant will do you a good job if you've got – uh, maybe a half yearly review and say this is what's going on these are the figures that are up to date um property specific accountant as well i guess mortgage broker that would definitely be on my list get a good mortgage broker i still feel like i spend um, a day a week filling in paperwork or doing bits and bobs i've got a great mortgage broker who does all sorts of things for me you know more more than they really should in terms of the um careful the paperwork paperwork load oh no 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 the paperwork load no no i don't mean oh crikey that, that, that that's changed since 2008 there is there is no i wouldn't even call it favors but you know there's no bending it. a mortgage broker these days cannot yeah. influence anything that checks up on the paper it is what it is it's there it's in black and white i've scanned it and i've sent it off and we can't alter it so no, there's, there's no self-certification anymore no. um no no I, I just mean in terms of I should scan this in. I should do this. I should add those up. And, and most brokers would ask you to do it. But my broker does that kind of thing for me. That saves me a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, get on top of utilities. That'd be a, another one. Utilities are an absolute pain. Um, when you start to own multiple numbers of properties, you will find that you will get a letter or two a month from a utility company that's made a mistake. You know, it's your, your tenants done something wrong or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. If you've got a an office address rather than your personal address, get it all addressed there. Never give them your date of birth. Always put it in the partnership or the limited company name or whatever, um, so it doesn't affect your credit file. Those kind of things. And have a backstop that says, um, yeah, you've got to follow this up personally because sometimes you just have to to get. Yeah, you know, utilities can get you in a real trouble if you don't deal with them. Yep. Um, well, 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 I suppose generally we're just talking about tips generally to investors. That do you know what biggest tip is not a system. It's um, Keep an income. If you're going to pressure cook this, work hard, save, invest, don't spend the profits, keep it going in there. But what was that quote that you told me a minute ago? Well, work, work hard. hard what, doing what yeah. other people are not prepared to do. Yeah. 
to live the rest yeah. of your life in a way that other people are not they able can't. to do. <laughs> yeah, do that. Do that. I mean, that, that would be my number one tip. Well, nothing's for free. If you look at somebody and think that, that you know, what, what's happened there, it was luck. It wasn't. They, were, they got up early. They worked extra hard. They didn't spend as much money than anything that they had spare they saved and invested. Um, I'm, I still don't spend any of the profits on my properties. Um, the, the, the property portfolio, it's a closed loop system. The money that it makes goes back into more properties, which is very yeah. tax efficient, actually, isn't it? And you haven't um, you haven't finished yet, have you? You you oh, no certainly not until no. two hundred because you're gonna have a party. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, and, and um, we'll talk in a second. But you've got uh, you've got other streams of income, haven't you? So um, well you know we'll we'll perhaps touch on that. And I guess for most people, that is most people. Most people have got a job or a or a, or a yeah. business, whether it's a small business. Um, that is the majority of people, you know. Um, not not necessarily deriving 100% of their income from a property portfolio um, in the early stages, no, at least. In the early in the early stages, definitely, it's um, you will always have unforeseen issues. Um, you know, maybe the refinance comes in less than you think, or, or or maybe you you know you can't get it for another four weeks or eight weeks or whatever, or you know, the tenant does decides not to pay whatever. It, if you've got an income on the, in the background, then it makes life a lot more comfortable in that first um, you know, zero to five or six properties. After that, it, no matter what, even if it's even if you don't need to, um, and I guess at the point when I realised I didn't need to anymore, I had a different different perspective on work. You know, it made things. I made certain decisions, and work got a little bit easier just because of you know, my mind, my mindset, I guess. Uh, but having that extra income sat alongside it because I had money coming from the shops made investing in property a lot more relaxing and quicker. And if you front load stuff, it snowballs, definitely. So. Well, I'm glad you use that phrase, snowball, because that's what it is, isn't it? And the whole yeah. the snowball and the compound growth of reinvesting your profits, it, um, hmm. it, it starts slowly, but, you know, it does gather some momentum um, as it rolls down the hill there. Yeah. The, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I coach people on is don't get bored in the first five years. You see people just turning off, you know. It's, and don't forget, um, one of my sort of things I tell people is we've got a letting agents here. We've got um, five, nearly 600 tenants or whatever. And uh, we don't get 600 phone calls in the morning saying everything's all right, everything's fine. All we get <laughs> is 20 phone calls saying what went wrong overnight. That's it. Yeah. As a landlord, you're only going to get hassle. Nobody's going to ring you up and thank you. It's just going to be um, <laughs> issues that you have to deal with. And if, if that's all you get for the first five years and you're constantly broke, um, and you're actually not making much money out of it because you've only got five properties yet, then you can see why people get bored. Stick with it. It, it's, it, it comes good just about the point when you see people start to give up. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the whole mindset um, type of angle because you can get, you know, you have to be strong, you have to be resilient because you are going to get a pile of rubbish on your doorstep for uh, for a good few years perhaps before the good times arrive. And you're right, it just, it just then suddenly happens. You wake up one day and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I stuck with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, w- I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, and um, this might have changed for you. I, perhaps perhaps it has. I don't know. But maybe the way you structured your affairs and, and whether, in fact, you would structure them any differently now. So, um, mm. you know, did you buy in your own name? Have you got a company set up? You know, those sort of things, really, I suppose. And even if you did do something the way you did it and appreciate things have changed quite considerably, um, you know, Chancellor of the Exchequer, all that. 
Um, would you do anything differently now, particularly with scale in mind? I think this is what I'm really driving at. If you know you're going to try and grow a, a what do you call it, a mid-sized portfolio of around about 200, how would yep. how perhaps would you start now? Um, so whatever we say we're going to start now, bear in mind that 10 years ago it would be, it would have been different, and 10 years from now it would be different. So always the, the key is keep your eyes out have a good accountant and work it out from there. So whatever whatever you start out now, be prepared to change. And mm-hmm. right now I'm saying to people, if you're getting going, uh, there's a lot of talk about putting into a limited company. It seems a really sensible thing to do. If you're starting out from scratch, why wouldn't you? Um, there are slightly increased costs. Having said that, you see that there are some people bringing in maybe some reasons why you shouldn't. Or you know, if, you've, if you've got zero properties and you're aiming to get to five, just get, just go buy five houses. Doesn't really matter. I, I can't see much of a difference um, either way. Uh, up until the five, there will be a difference. I mean, you know, you know, somebody will point out a little bit later on, four years, five years from now, that there was a difference. But I don't think it's actually clear what it is now. You will see different opinions, and somebody will say it's, it's better or worse, or whatever. So that it will be better or worse, one way or the other, five years hence. But we don't really know. Um, let's get on with it and make it make it. Yeah, make it a problem you've got to deal with it won't be a massive problem you know maybe two three four thousand pounds in five years you've got five or six houses and you spread it over that time it's, it's nothing really um if you if you are going to build a large portfolio it does seem sensible to me now uh and this is only crystallizing in my mind my accountant's mind over the last sort of six months to be limited um i own the majority of all my properties in my own personal name mm-hmm. so um uh, that, that, that was the way that we, we, we built it up and started it. There's, there's no, you know, it was easy to do that way. Um, the, the issue with the uh, ability to offset uh, interest against the, uh, the profits wasn't there, so that didn't make any difference. If you get a limited company mortgage, you still have to give a personal guarantee, so there's no getting around with that. It's all asset-backed anyway, so there's no problem. Um, I also have some properties in a limited company because we have, you mentioned we've got some other businesses, they are limited companies. It's tax efficient to be able to shift money between and sort those kind of things out. Again, it's accountant thing. Um, last year, the accountant said, shall we move them to a limited company? Let's investigate it. We're certainly not going to be the first people to do it. We're going to, we're going to let a load of other people do it and see what happens, see if there's any challenges. So we've done that. We've let the dust settle. Um, we're all teed up, ready to do it. I still haven't done it, actually. Um <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it, well, there's a couple of reasons. Well, our end of year is May, um, so you know we're just having an accountant meeting in the next uh, couple of weeks, actually. So yeah, it takes a month to get the, the figures done. Then they do all their checks. Then we get invited down and have a chat, and um, we'll, we'll probably press the button in the next couple of weeks. But it's a big bill. It's a one-way trip. It makes <laughs> things a bit more complicated. Um, I don't really want to do it, but. Um, I think it's going to have to be done. Um, my accountant's advice, and I, I agreed with him at the time, and I still do, is don't be an early adopter. It's cost us a year, so we've got one year's account. It's been tapered in, so we can now see exactly what it would and will cost us. We do all the calculations forward. Um, I'm still buying properties, so there's um, there's some, some, some renovation costs, repairs and renewal costs to offset against it. So... Um, I'm going to leave it as late as possible. Who knows? They might even change their mind. Well, yeah. Well, they might change their mind, but also they may level the playing field that limited companies don't get the interest relief as well. So, 
you know yeah that would be i think that would be really really tricky but um yeah of course that could yeah yeah because yeah, yeah particularly because it would it would affect pension companies surely you know which well, is cool. I, I you know yes. i mean they, i'm sure they'd find a way to get the little the little guy but you know but yes i think the point i'm driving at and i think i agree with your sentiment that maybe the one to five thing just get going just you know give yourself a yeah. give yourself something get yourself the practice and yeah, uh, problem. learn learn how exactly get yourself a problem to worry yeah. about rather than worrying about a problem that doesn't exist and um, exactly. if you rightly say um, i think i read an article what is the optimum number of properties to own before incorporation i.e., having a limited company is worthwhile yeah. and depending on the property value it's between say um, i think four and eight so um it's, the, it's four two hundred thousand <laughs> there are there are some technical things that say that um, if, if you, you've got to be able to describe it as a business if you're changing you see if yeah. you're going from one to the other uh, describe it as a business if you're starting off that's different um, yeah. yeah okay the, the route is um, yeah I want uh, to just just actually, it's it's worth pointing actually I just drop these sort of little bullet points in there because um, you know I'm I'm sounding quite blasé about it but I've got a couple of bits of knowledge not everybody's got when going from personal to um, limited company usually via a partnership incorporating and then incorporating the partnership um that there shouldn't be any capital gains payable and there shouldn't be any stamp duty payable so you know, bear that in mind and if anybody's telling you that you do have to pay capital gains or some stamp duty i mean they, they could be right it could be possible they're right but always get a second opinion drop me a line i don't mind you know, i put you in touch with my accountant i mean i've, I've done that for a couple of clients now that um their accountant was saying, nope, you've got to pay stamp duty, you've got to pay capital gains tax. And uh, I can't advise that, but I can say you put, you, put you in touch with people, mm. show you how you don't have to do that. Yeah. Just takes a couple of years, doesn't it, to set up the structure? So it's a, a partnership that's, in, you know, uh, yes. If you haven't done it already, you're a little bit behind the curve. So yeah. get on with it. But yeah. um, the other thing is, I think I think the, con- the country's run out of one-year-old on-the-shelf companies. Because <laughs> uh, that, that's another way to do it. I found Jesse to be a very interesting person to talk to. He has more properties than I do, and that's fine with me, as I have different goals and lifestyle choices to Jesse, and he's frankly been doing it longer as well. But that also means we can learn a lot from someone that has scaled from a single property uh, purchased around 17 years ago to approaching round about 200 now. We can learn a lot from, uh, from Jesse's experience and insights, I think, therefore. Jesse freely acknowledges that things were different back then and perhaps uh, are different now. So perhaps slightly more challenging, especially with the uh, with property financing and some of the tax changes. However, things will always be different and subject to change. And so if not change to you know, section four, four, 24 of the mortgage interest relief restrictions or the prudent, or sorry, the portfolio landlord finance changes or no same day financing and those sort of things, there'll always, there'll always be something new and different for us to deal with. And that's one of the biggest lessons right there. The only constant is change, and we need to be prepared to deal with that. But let's extract some of the key takeaways from part one of our discussion right now. Firstly, Jesse doesn't see himself as special in any way. He admits that he initially got involved in property in something of an unconscious way. That first sandwich shop with its crazily complicated method of purchase illustrates that. He was born out of need probably more so than a specific desire or intention. He's found a model for success and then gone on to repeat it multiple times over to grow and scale his portfolio. The buy, refurbish, refinance model is very effective, but it's also quite boring. 
Trust me, I know this too. But boring can be extremely good too. Jesse points out that becoming involved with property is open to pretty much everyone. Now, some people might be saying they need at least £25,000 to get started, and in traditional buy-to-let, that's probably about right. However, there are other ways of getting involved and raising the starting fund, as I've spoken about on many occasions. Even so, saving for the first deposit and then adopting a BRR strategy by Refurbished Refinance makes the second one easier, and then the third, and then the fourth, and so on. The reason is that with a value-adding, recycling strategy such as BRR, you get to extract most of your starting capital. So yes, we need to practice some delayed gratification for a few years, but then it starts to pay off by lowering the bar for the next acquisition and so on. Run your portfolio as a business. I mean, need I say any more on this topic? Not really. If you've heard me speak for long enough, you'll know this is one of my major recommendations. However, specifically, Jesse advises us uh, not to try and do everything ourselves and to get in professional support in a number of key ways. First of all, we've lettings management. He eventually bought in a lettings manager internally. Personally, I use external letting agents, but the common theme here is to outsource to a professional. So, insource or outsource, in other words, to delegate to a professional. Could be the in-house lettings manager or an external lettings agent, but use the expertise of a professional lettings uh, manager. A bookkeeper is next. Tracking all the ins and the outs and monitoring our portfolio health through some form of uh, key performance indicators or KPIs every month. Granted, with a single property, that's possibly slightly too much. But as we get beyond, say, five or six properties and head towards 20, this becomes an essential requirement. Personally, with my own financial background, I'm, I'm happy to track the portfolio, at least for now. However, it's quite tedious to undertake detailed bank reconciliations every month and prepare the month reports. So there comes a time when a bookkeeper will help no end. Personally, I use uh, an external resource uh, that I found on, uh, on one of the offshoring accounts to help me with some of the basic work there. So some of the grunt work, if you like, gets done for me. But uh, Jesse has uh, taken the step of having an internal bookkeeper. And you can start with uh, perhaps you know, a, a contractor or a part-time person to begin with, but um, as and when the need arises. And in a similar vein, an accountant. So following on from the bookkeeper is an accountant. And I noticed that Jesse mentioned one with experience in property. And I think this is important as well because there's some very specific things about property investing that an accountant needs to get their head around. So I wouldn't recommend going to any old accountant. I'd, I'd make sure we go to an accountant who has some experience. Personally, I would be great. But if not personally, then certainly working with a number of property investors would be the next best thing. Now, the, in the interaction with the accountant will be lower or lesser than with a bookkeeper. Uh, if the bookkeeper is working every month, for example, on producing the reconciliations and the reports, the accountant might be, we might be working with every six months and they'd be more strategic in nature. Okay, so there's some legal and tax compliance work that the accountant will do for us, filling in the tax returns and that kind of thing. But they should also be able to give us advice on the right structure that suits our needs and the way we're, and the way we're heading. Next up was a mortgage broker. It's essential of part of anyone's team uh, is to have a good broker and to avoid that oh no moment when you discover that you don't meet a lender's criteria and you've already applied, that you fall foul of the new portfolio landlord rules, or you just realise that it really is a specialist area that you need specialist help with. 
I don't, I'm so surprised sometimes about people who are not prepared to pay, say, £500 or so to get in a specialist mortgage broker. It's not a lot of money to pay. And, the, um, and a good whole-of-market broker will save you that money time and time again. Solicitor is something I've added, actually, to be honest. Jesse didn't mention a solicitor, and to some extent, I understand why. Legal conveyancing with basic property purchase, purchases rather, is not that difficult, to be perfectly honest with you. It's only when you get to uh, more complex structures or getting involved, um, you know, with with more with more sort of uh, detailed requirements or more regular requirements that having a solicitor on your team becomes an essential requirement. And um, you know, having having a, the legal firm with the right uh, credentials, the right team, and the right experience level will then become important. Certainly, as we start to scale. I now have one, but my, my first half a dozen purchases or so were, were nothing special really, and I, I think I worked with around about half a dozen different convincing firms back then as well. Now I have a single legal firm and uh, uh, that I go to each time, and it, it does make things simpler. Uh, they already know me, uh, we have a good understanding of my needs, and the working relationship works uh, very smoothly. And I dare say Jesse does have a, a, a sort of a dedicated solicitor that he uses as well, but he, he perhaps didn't feel the need to, to mention it as an essential ingredient. Jesse did mention an operations manual, though, if you remember, albeit briefly. And as we scale, we need to bring in additional help. And if these people are internal, then we need to set some guidelines of how they should work. An operations manual at the basic level can be just a checklist, which is in fact my preference, really. Simple checklists. However, it can develop into a formal set of written policies and procedures as well, especially as we're scaling and especially as we're getting more people involved. But remember, it, it must be fit for the purpose, though. And what I mean by this is there's no point in having something that would get us through an ISO 9000 accreditation when all we have is a single buy to let that we self-manage or pass on to an agent. So uh, let's just be sensible about that. But you're having some form of operations guide or checklist or something like that, particularly when we're getting other people involved in the business is going to be helpful as we scale. And the last area we discussed in part was one in structuring our property portfolio. And I'm really pleased that Jesse said what he did about getting yourself a problem before worrying about it, as that's exactly how I see it as well. In truth, for the first five or six properties, it doesn't really matter too much whether we go individual names or through a company. Sure, there'll be certain times with when one option seems more favourable to another. But as Jesse points out, only if we actually go and do something, we, have the pro we create ourselves a problem to deal with later. And financially, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference to fix it then. So if you think about it in context, the first five or six properties amongst 200, what difference does it make? It doesn't make that huge a difference. So go and give yourself a problem to worry about rather than worrying about a problem that doesn't exist, I think is a key takeaway there. So by all means, go and set up a limited company. If you plan to grow a large portfolio, this does seem to be sensible, as, uh, as Jesse mentioned. I, I would agree that a higher rate taxpayer, it, it should be considered seriously as well. However, if you're not sure that you want to scale and you're a basic rate taxpayer, the cost of incorporation can outweigh the tax savings until you reach the magic four to eight properties that we talked about in our discussion. But the real key here is to get a good tax accountant and I see so many people looking for free advice on the property forums instead of paying a good accountant a few quid for, for a bit of decent professional advice. Now let's face it, if we plan on spending £100,000 to say a half a million pounds on a first half dozen rental properties or so, why not fork out around £1,000 for a bit of professional advice from a decent accountant? 
It still amazes me why people won't do this, and it's a clear example of poor man's thinking, as I like to call it. The final watch phrase that Jesse used was, you don't want to be an early adopter. And I like that, and I think it's fitting. It's a fitting way to draw a line under part one of our discussion, I think. Property investing does not need to be too complicated, although there are several moving parts. The key is to keep things simple, and if you like, boring. That seems to be one of the key ingredients to scaling our property business, for, from our discussion at least. So if you want to talk about anything from today's show, by all means, you can email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. Equally, Jesse left his contact details on part two, but just in case you wanted to get in touch with Jesse now, you can find him and his company at uh, fossytaylor.com. But join us next time for part two of our discussion, as that's where all the goodies and the giveaways uh, are mentioned as we dig deeper into the mindset of a larger portfolio landlord, whether or not Jesse sees himself in that way. As usual, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.